following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
I'm speechless today. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. This is Ray Greenlee. I'm the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. One of you sent me a video last night, a YouTube video. I watched it in the early hours of this morning. It was an account, a news report of Seattle, Washington. And it showed how this once most beautiful city in our nation has today become worse than any third world country. Filth, garbage, countless homeless. Almost a hundred percent of those homeless people have a drug addiction whether it be cocaine or meth or whatever it is they're on. Many police arrests the next day released by the courts. A very liberal city council, a very liberal, ungodly mayor, and the city is being utterly destroyed. There is no law and order. There is no real treatment for the people who are arrested and the next day put back out. Many of them have serious mental health issues because of their drug abuse. Tents lining the sidewalks. Unbelievable amounts of trash. Washington, Seattle, Washington is now not a safe place to raise a family or to have children. You can't go to the park because there are needles everywhere in the grass. Sidewalks are covered with excrement. They're paying huge amounts of money to clean excrement off the the streets from people, not dogs, people. I watched this video and my heart cried out, Jesus, where is the power in the name of Jesus to change these lives? And I could talk similarly about Chicago, Los Angeles, and other large cities in America. Churches have basically moved to the outskirts, built their mega mansions, and have their happy people. But what about the cities? People are dying. And I'm saying, oh God, what can we do? And that's not an adequate answer. The problems are so great because liberal judges and liberal, progressive, ungodly mayors and city councils refuse to enforce the law and refuse to grant help to those so desperately in need. And so the mentally ill are kicked out onto the streets. Felons are kicked out onto the streets. 
crime is rampant. Right now, Seattle, Washington has the highest crime rate in the United States. Property crimes, assault, rape. What do we do? How do we meet this desperate need with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm very troubled. I'm speechless. The child trafficking through Manassas, Virginia, through Washington, D.C., the sex trafficking of our children, the poppy the poppy dens and production in Afghanistan skyrocketed under our American presidents. Poppy Bush was known as Poppy Bush, not because he was poppied anybody, but he was a part of a whole government deal to raise heroin. Most of the heroin in the world comes from Afghanistan. Our government has been corrupt in dealing with this wickedness. I'm very grateful that under the current president, he's saying, let's leave Afghanistan because the American army has been used there to guard the narcotic trade. And he's saying, let's get out of this. Let's leave it. I'm not going to go into politics. Please hear the cry of my heart. It's men and women, boys and girls, who are lost, desperately abused, broken, living on the street by the thousands, living in tents, living under underpasses, Same thing in Miami, Florida. Same thing in other cities in this nation. There has to be a change. There has to be a submission to God and to the mission of winning the lost. I listened to a Muslim a Muslim woman who is a congresswoman. I listened to one of her friends who is also a Muslim. I'm not going to name names, but this woman, speaking to a large group of Muslims, said, We have to be very clear that America has to become a Muslim nation, and it has to be under Sharia law. It's the only way we can bring order and justice back into America. And we have to be very calculated in how we do this. Well, I'm aware of history where Islam conquered North Africa and literally swept the Christian church away. How were they able to do that so easily? Because the Christian church in North Africa wants a paragon of virtue in Egypt and in other parts of, of Africa. 
paragon of virtue. Some of the oldest communities of of Jesus. How did the Muslims sweep them away almost totally, almost completely? The churches had become very permissive, filled with sin and corruption. And Islam came, and they brought law and order. Now, I don't like what they did. I don't like how they killed people if they would not become Muslim. I don't believe in conversion by the sword. I believe in conversion by a a transformed and converted heart, a man or woman who is willing to submit to God, who's willing to walk in the love of Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you now, there is a great titanic battle that is becoming very clear between Islam and Christianity. The war is on. Nigeria, 120 Christians killed this last week, murdered, homes burned, families, men, women, boys, girls, little ones, all murdered. We didn't hear about that on the mainstream news, do we? No, their agenda is a progressive leftism, socialism. That's their answer. That's not Islam's answer. But they are helping Islam get a foothold in America. What are we going to do as Christians? We're going to be swept away in America if there is not a dramatic change in the Christian church, if there is not a coming to our senses and repenting of our sin and establishing standards of righteousness and stop just saying, hey, you all come and enjoy our play, enjoy our concert. Enjoy our worship service that is totally benign. That won't cause anybody to be offended. We've taken the cross out. We've taken everything away that would offend anybody about the gospel of Jesus. What? In America we're doing this. I want to share a passage of scripture with you. This was spoken by Pastor James. It's in the scripture, James, the fourth chapter. You adulterous people. That is what Pastor James would say to the American church today. And if that is not dramatically changed and quickly, Islam will sweep America clean of Christianity. That is their stated goal. you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or hatred against God? Therefore, among you who choose to be a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God. Most of the Christian church in America today is an enemy of God. 
the Christian church has become an enemy of God in America. He goes on. Do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit he's caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, I've spoken very bluntly, but with great love. To say we're not making it as an American Christian church. There has to be a change, and it must start in you and me. We must make new choices and decisions, both about where we go to church and who we associate with calling ourselves Christians. very wealthy businessman that I've just heard about doesn't think twice about cheating doesn't think twice about casting someone away it's all about money and success and yet in the midst of this he lives in fear he's not happy his wife's not happy they're miserable because they have no righteousness in their lives. They made a decision to follow Jesus, but they never made a decision to be holy. They never made a decision to walk in repentance that would honestly bring to them holiness and righteousness. So they call themselves Christians, but they walk like the world even worse than the world. Not caring who they hurt or who they cast down. It's about money. It's about success. My lifestyle. Well, what does it mean when James says, submit yourselves then to God in a very practical way? I'm going to talk with you today and tomorrow about what it means to submit. That's not something we like to do. Submission is not something that's very popular. Everybody says, I'm not going to submit to anybody. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. Don't ask me to submit to my wife. Don't ask me to submit to my husband. Don't ask me to submit to my pastor. Don't ask me to submit to anybody. I am an American. I want to show you where that kind of thinking will lead a person. And I want to do that by taking you to the book of Genesis, to the book of beginnings. And there is an account of God after the flood choosing a man from the line of Shem 
who would become the father of a mighty nation. And through that nation, his son would be born. The Messiah would be born. God had a plan worked out from the very beginning to bring salvation to the earth, to men and women, boys and girls, to you, to me. But this man had to learn how to submit to God. He didn't know how to do that. He was wealthy, powerful. But God came to him. In Genesis, the 12th chapter, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That word came to Abraham, to Abram. I'm not sure how it came, but the Lord I've discovered is very able to speak when he chooses to speak. He steps out from behind the curtain, and he speaks. Now, he was married to a beautiful woman, Sarai. Problem is, Sarai was barren. She could not have children. God gives this command to leave your country, leave your people, and your father's household. Now, if he's going to submit to God, he's not only going to have to go, but he's going to have to go with just his family. Is that what he does? No. He's not going to leave daddy behind. So he takes daddy. Daddy's name was Terah. And Terah means delay. Delay. So Abraham is told, don't take delay. Go to the land I will show you. But he wants to take delay along with him. Not only that, he wants to take his nephew with him. So they all start in obedience to God's command to move. They get as far as Haran from Ur of the Chaldees, a part of the Fertile Crescent. They have to circle around, a half circle to get into Cana land because of the desert. Nobody crosses it. So they set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to this place that God is sending them. They come to Haran, and Daddy says, let's settle here. So they settled. But Haran means parched. So now Abraham, with the command of God, 
has brought his family along with him. He was told, don't bring your family. Leave them. But he brings them, and they're all delaying him from doing what God has told him to do. Submission means I don't delay. I don't buy into delay. And I'm not going to live in a parched place. I am going to follow the Lord God of heaven. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. But hang with me. Watch what Abraham does. The Lord has told him to leave. He stays, however, in parched until the death of his father. And now he's ready to obey God. This is not what God has called us for. We are not called to use our wisdom to decide what the timing should be in obedience to God. God says something and he wants it obeyed now. The Lord has said to me, Wait upon the Lord, and the Lord will carry you through. That's a very clear command. It was spoken to me audibly. I know the voice of the Lord. Now, my personal nature is not to wait on anybody. I'm go, go, go. I'm ready to, I'm ready to move. Let's go. What's the next thing we're supposed to do? Let's, let's go do it. God said, wait on me. Wait on the Lord. So I'm waiting on the Lord. And I'm waiting on the Lord in a number of areas. One is the National Prayer Chapel. One is FM radio. And there are other personal things I'm waiting on God for. Why? My time is limited on this earth. I don't have time to wait for anybody. God said, wait on the Lord. I'll obey. I'll wait. I didn't learn that overnight. It took me quite a few years to learn to wait on God. He's spoken that to me quite a number of times. And I've obeyed, and then I've gotten impatient, and I've said, well, I've got to move. I can't stay here. I'm dying. Okay. Whatever happens, as long as I'm obeying God, I'm now ready to obey. That doesn't come. That submission doesn't come quickly to our hearts because we're so full of spit and vinegar. We're so full of our own stuff. We're so filled with pride. We're not going to submit to anybody. Get out of my way. So the result is meanness, nastiness, harshness. Get out of my way. I'm on my way. Okay. Go, I'm out of your way. So Abraham left now, as the Lord has told him. But he still has Lot with him. And they set out from parched to go to the land of Cana, a land flowing with milk and honey. They travel there, and they get as far as the great tree of Moriah at Shechem, and Shechem means strength. Now the Canaanites filled the land 
But as soon as they got there, the Lord spoke again. Look, until you obey the Lord, the Lord won't speak to you through the scriptures. He won't speak to you in dreams. He won't speak to you through a brother or a sister. He's waiting on you to do what he asks you to do. He's waiting on you to submit to him. I can't tell you the painful lessons that I've had to learn to learn to wait on the Lord. But this is Genesis 12, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Abram responded by building an altar and worshiping the Lord there where God had appeared to him. Now we're going to note through Abraham's entire life that his life was about not raising sheep and not raising a family. His entire life was about learning to submit to God learning to humble his heart and submit. Well, from there, he moved on from Shechem toward the hills east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Bethel means house of bread. Ai means ruin. So now he has his tent halfway between the house of bread and utter ruin. It's not by chance that he's pitched his tent there because he's going to face decisions now that will mean his being established in the house of bread or it will mean he is going to be ruined. Now, please, you face decisions today about your future, about even what you're going to do today, and those decisions will either bring you into the house of bread where God will feed you, or those decisions will bring you into utter and absolute ruin and destroy your power to be of use to God in this wicked, wicked world. God has called you or you wouldn't be listening to this broadcast but the outcome of that call is still very uncertain in many of your lives because you have delayed making that act of submission to God you still want your own way you're determined you're going to take care of yourself And you're going to do whatever. You're going to scramble to get whatever you have to get. If it's going to be, as Robert Schuller used to say so proudly, if it's going to be, it's up to me. No, it's not. If it's going to be, it's up to God. And I must submit. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abraham, Abram set out toward the Negev. Now if you don't know Israel, 
that statement doesn't make much sense to you, but the Negev is a desert area, but it's travelable. It is the road from Canaanland to Egypt. So already, Abram has made a decision. He has worshipped God. He has planted his tent between Bethel and Ai, and now he must make a decision. God called him to the Cana land, but now there's a famine in Cana land. That's not by accident, is it? You could almost guarantee that God would have a famine going in the land when he arrives to see what he will do. Will he cry out to God? Will he submit to God? Will he stay in Cana land? Or will he head to Egypt? He has the decision to make. And this decision will cost him bitterly now and in the future if he makes the wrong choice because he will not submit to God. So Abram is already on his way to Egypt. He's going through the Negev because there's a famine in the land. And he made the decision that he's going to go down to Egypt and live there for a while until the famine's over. As he's about to enter Egypt, he makes another choice. I'll, I'll read it to you. Verse 11, this is Genesis, the 12th chapter, verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt... He said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister. And she was his half-sister. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Abram wasn't concerned about Sarai. He was concerned about his own skin. He was not concerned with submitting to God and remaining in that famine land. He wanted the luxury of Egypt. So Abram came to Egypt. And by the way, when he called on the name of the Lord before he went to Egypt, the Lord did not answer him. Remember Baal? He wanted to go and earn some extra money prophesying against Israel with the Moabites. And he kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And finally, an angel stood in his way to bar it and to kill him. And his donkey rolled on him and spoke to him. I'm not sure what that makes Balaam, but I think it makes him a donkey. Because he could understand a donkey. Only a donkey could get through to him because he refused to submit to God's will. 
What do we do when submitting to God's will does not look like it will prosper us, but rather looks like it will destroy us? Will we trust Almighty God and will we submit to Him? See, this is not about you and me. This is about Jesus. This is about the kingdom of God. This is about ministry in the name of Jesus where there is real power for the salvation of the lost. Do you think America was given to you to live in your luxury? In wickedness? In hardness of heart? In casualness? Do you think America was given to you so you could use your partly talents to do some creative thing? I say no. America was established as a beacon on a hill for the world. And many incredibly wonderful men and women have gone out from this nation as missionaries to the world and have done an incredible job for the kingdom of heaven. And many men and women who have lived in America have given themselves in total submission to God. Men and women both have proclaimed the gospel, have healed the sick, have raised the dead, have lifted the standard high. We don't see that today. Because the standard of Jesus Christ is dragging in the dirt in America. And it must once more be lifted up by men and women who are willing to submit themselves unto God and give up their personal agendas. So here comes Abraham. Abram, he's still called at this point. Asks his wife to tell a half lie, to deny their marriage. And it was through this precious woman, Sarai, that God intended to fulfill his promise to Abram. Without Sarai, he's dead in the water. God is promising a son will be born to them. He doesn't believe it. She's barren. Barren woman, always a barren woman. He does not believe God and he is not willing to submit to God. So he goes into Egypt, and God steps in because Pharaoh's officials see this beautiful woman and that she's not married, and they tell Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, well, bring her into my court. Put her in my harem. And Abram was treated well for her sake. He was given sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys, maidservants, men servants, camels. I mean, this man became wealthy in Egypt because he had favor with Pharaoh. He was connected politically because his precious wife had been taken to the harem of Pharaoh. Boy, it makes you just about lose all respect for Abraham. And if we didn't know the end of the story of Abraham, we would not respect him one iota because of what he did to his wife. But the Lord is involved in this picture. 
And so the Lord steps in. He is not going to give Abram up. He is going to teach Abram to submit to himself. I tell you what, God is not going to give up on you very quickly. In fact, I don't think God's going to give up on you at all. But I think he's going to run you through whatever he has to run you through to get you to finally submit to him. I want to do that the easy way. I've done it the hard way. God takes no pleasure in disciplining his children. He's not a God of anger. He's not a God of harshness. He's an incredibly kind, merciful, loving God. Verse 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Probably closed the the wombs of all the women so they couldn't bear children, they couldn't get pregnant. He may have even given them tumors. I don't know what he did. But somehow, Pharaoh figured out what happened. Divination or something, God let him know what was going on. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. It doesn't say invited him for a lunch chat or a breakfast meeting. He summoned him. Come before Pharaoh. When Abram stands before Pharaoh on the throne, from which Pharaoh could order him executed immediately, but God's hand is in this, he says, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her. Go. And Abram is literally kicked out of Egypt. He sent forth in shame. God has disciplined Abram. He has publicly humiliated him. Gives him back his wife. He doesn't take anything back that he's given Abram. He lets him keep all the sheep and the cattle and the livestock. It's money on the hoof. It says, chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. The Negev is that dry transition point. I've been in the Negev. It is dry. With his wife, everything he had, and Lot went with him. And Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. And from the Negev, He went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier. And he built an altar to God. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. But God did not answer. Abram 
is still under the discipline of God. Because he has not yet submitted to God's demands. What is it that God has asked of you that you have refused to do? What has he whispered into your spirit, into your heart? Perhaps as you're reading the scriptures, perhaps as you're listening to this broadcast, what has God whispered into your heart? And you knew it was God. And you've refused to do it. Instead, you've thought yourself important. You've recognized your talents and your skills, and you would like God to use you. You would like to be able to bring all of your skills and your talents to do many wonderful things, and you'd like God to use you. Can I tell you what the Lord will say to you? He will say, You are of absolutely no use to me. And he will turn you away. And he will not speak with you. The scriptures will be dull to you. You will stop praying in the manner you used to pray. Your heart will become cold and angry. Why? Because God won't use you the way you want to be used. You see, God cannot use a man or a woman who will not humble their heart before him and give up all of their natural talents and abilities. Those natural talents and abilities have to be brought under the authority of Jesus Christ. They have to be animated and made alive by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Else you can be of no use to God. Now I can tell you what's happening in America cannot be fixed by talented preachers or even talented politicians. The sickness that has taken over America can only be repaired by a third, fourth great awakening. Where men and women of God, with humble hearts, empowered by the Holy Spirit, begin to lift up a standard of righteousness and call men and women to repent and get right with God. The answer for drug addiction is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, healed and set free and given their mind back, casting out every demon, casting out every addiction that is coming straight out of demonic possession or demonic influence. All addiction comes from the demonic realm. We're not going to be able to see a healing in America until there is a humbling of America. 
everything in me cries out, go to one of the great cities like Seattle or Chicago or Miami or even Washington, D.C., even though the problem is less here. That's not saying much. But go on the streets and begin to minister to people and try to save them without the full power of the Holy Spirit, that will be an empty exercise. It's not going to be done with human talent and human ability. It's not going to be done with with money being thrown at it. One of the leaders in Seattle said, the more money that the government throws at this problem of addiction, of sex trafficking, of homelessness. The more money we throw at it, the worse it becomes. It's not a money problem. It's a moral problem. It's a soul sickness problem. And only God is the answer. Only Jesus is the answer to this problem. But it's going to mean transformed lives of men and women who have learned to submit themselves unto God, who will not go down to Egypt and lie and cheat and make their money. It's going to take something very different, dramatically different. Well, how do you start? First, by looking at everything that God has led you to believe that you are to do And now, whatever the cost, get about doing it. Whatever he's called you to give, give. Whatever he's told you to go, go. Do whatever God has called you to do. I don't know what God's told you. This is his battle, it's his war, it's not mine. The church belongs to Jesus. He has removed the lampstand from most churches in this city. There's going to have to be an awakening in Washington, D.C. A time of great repentance and sorrow and weeping before God. A decision for every person that they will humble their heart before God and submit to him and do whatever it is he tells them to do. An honest confession of all sin. An honest renouncing of that sin. Asking that the blood of Jesus would wash away your sin. If we don't do these things, the Christian church is going to be under severe persecution in America and will in the end be totally wiped from the public realm. Broadcasts like this will not be allowed. God has given us so many gifts in America. This nation is about to be swept away by the by the Islamic belief in Allah. and Sharia law. I'm out of time for today. I'm going to come back and tomorrow 
I'm going to go much further in this issue of submission. Would you please pray for me and pray for this broadcast and pray for America. Humble your heart and submit to God. Oh Lord, would you come quickly and rescue us with the awesome work of the gospel that the name of Jesus would be powerful in this nation once again. Lord, thank you. I pray in your name. Amen. This broadcast comes because by faith I stand with you. Thank you for your gifts. I'm writing thank you notes and I see so many names and I love so many of you. Thank you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon.